0: Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization
1: and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years.
0: Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at WisdomTree. Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance professor, Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm a registered representative for Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a supervisor advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of self-investment products, and the views of our guests are their own, and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. We're going to have a really interesting show. We're going to get the Professor Siegel's commentary. We had the jobs report. We've got robust markets, Professor. How are you looking at things?
2: Uh, yeah, so uh, let's go through some of the important things. Uh, employment was a little on the weak side, a little, you know, uh, payroll a little below estimate. Unemployment actually continued to move down, though, 6-7. Uh, as, as I've said for months, everything, all these reports are rear view mirror, and to understand the markets, you've got to go into a, a forward mirror. Um, and, uh, again, we're going to a dark tunnel now, but the light at the other end is getting brighter and brighter in terms of, uh, you know, the vaccine rolls out. Uh, in addition, we have had movement. We've been talking about this for several weeks, positive in the direction of uh, a uh, skinny stimulus bill. Um, uh, I, I would say it's definitely over a 50-50 chance now that something will be done. This is a big positive uh, for the market. Uh, we'll get, we would get through without it, but, um, you know, more stimulus there, more money there just keeps the fire going uh, once uh, the vaccine comes and people uh, return um, to normal. That's a, a very, very positive uh, aspect. Um, on the political uh, front, well, we had Chris Waller uh, confirmed by the, the Fed. As, as you know, Judy Skelton is, is, is really not going to get confirmed. Um, Chris Waller is very qualified. I was really disappointed. It was right along party lines. I mean, almost all Democrats voted against him. Uh, he's a very qualified person. Uh, it's not just the Republicans who vote against Democrats. Democrats vote against the Republicans. He, I am very glad he has been uh, confirmed now for a uh, position at uh, at the board. Biden will have another confirmation uh, for that he will make uh, during... Um, uh, the early stage of his presidency. Uh, we also have a little bit maybe of a closer race in the Senate. It's four and a half weeks away. It's very important. As we know, there have been some polls that have just come out um, that are um, more favorable for the Democrats, actually show the Democrats leading in both of those races, but it's still four and a half weeks away. There's tremendous amount of politics going on. Uh, there are uh, Trump lawyers telling people not to vote because it's rigged, which, of course, would be a disaster for the Republicans. I think the Republicans will get their act together and push that vote through, and we will have at least one of those two, if not both of those, to be Republican and a Republican Senate. But that's not something that's in the bag. It is something, clearly, that we are watching over the next four weeks. Markets are, of course, um, uh, looking towards the vaccine as they should, uh, the reopening trade next year. Uh, we've had strength across the board everywhere uh, in the tech stocks as well as the re- the reopening stocks. We have the yields uh, now 97 basis points uh, on the uh, ready to break 1%. I believe uh, on the 10-year, um, which is still unbelievably low, but. But it shows you the pressure on yield. As you know, I'm on record as saying we will never see uh, rates as low again on the long term as we did in the middle of, of uh, this year, uh, and that rates will continue to rise through uh, 2021. Uh, and, uh, and um, uh, you know, there's so many other things to talk about, but I, I think um, those are the highlights. Uh, anything on your mind, Jeremy?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of rotation, you know, since the vaccine. You're seeing some of that continue into this week. You got energy popping higher, maybe going with rates, maybe some of the fiscal stimulus. How much do you think is just mean reversion? How much is sort of actually real, real news here?
2: Yeah, I see Brent at 49 and West Texas at 46. I, I, there wasn't, I think, an OPEC deal that was signed, but it's mostly reopening. I mean, that is getting it up. I mean, I am surprised it's as high as almost 50 um, and we'll see if it stays there. but that clearly is, is a value stock place since energies are deep, 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 deep value, to say the least, uh, with dividend yields of eight to ten percent. Um, uh, 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 but I, I'm, I'm more looking towards, you know many of the other stocks that uh, will benefit from a stronger economy. One should also point out, by the way, if the Dems still do win the two, we will have a bigger infrastructure bill. Uh, We will have higher taxes, but bigger infrastructure and more spending. Um, I still think the market goes up, although it will take a little bit of a spill in that case. Anyways, we will continue to update uh, uh, behind the markets uh, over the next four weeks looking uh, at this uh, Senate race.
0: Yeah, very good. I think this is a great way to, to kick off our show. Thanks for some commentary, Professor. Thank you. Let me turn over the conversation when we have a welcome back one of our our, uh, regular guests, uh, Mark Chandler, who's Managing Director, Chief Market Strategist at Bannockburn Global Forex. Mark, Mark, welcome back to Behind the Markets. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Give us your current outlook as you think about the economy, as you think about all the global markets. You focus a lot on the currencies. How are you looking at the world today, Mark?
1: Well, maybe the first thing, the first place to begin uh, for me would be the dollar which has just, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, it's basically just fallen out of bed, not just against the euro or, uh, you know, one or two currencies, but the, the loss, the dollar's decline has been broad-based, including all the majors and most of the emerging market currencies. And so, you know, I think last time we were speaking, Jeremy, I had laid out a view of the dollar that this was the end of the third big dollar cycle, advance. Uh, since the end of Brenton Woods, the uh, Reagan dollar rally, the Clinton dollar rally, and now this Obama-Trump dollar rally. And I was thinking it came to an end, but I didn't think that it would have accelerated like this. Uh, and I, and I, I, I try to frame, well, what's the, what, how are we going to explain this down leg of the dollar? And I think that what's coming clear is that when I listen to what our clients are saying and what people in the market are talking about, it can be like summed up in two words, twin deficit. And the like most of our... Uh, most of other countries in the world, the U.S. has a budget deficit, but unlike many, especially the large countries like the Eurozone and China and Japan, the U.S. has this current account deficit. And typically, the U.S. needs to have growth differentials or rate differentials to fund these deficits. And uh, we, we can't have those now, and I think the dollar is sort of acting like this uh, shock absorber. So, the real economy doesn't, doesn't as much. It can take some of the pressure off. And so, uh, uh, to me, that's, that's the key. Uh, that is, uh, when you look around the global asset markets, uh, weaker dollar is also consistent then with stronger world growth, higher commodity prices, and uh, the, basically it's part of this uh, broader reflation story.
0: Now, when when you think about how how you know on on the other side of every trade on currencies here, there's another currency that you know when you're, you're, you're when you're short the dollar, you got to be long something else. Is it when you think about who you'd want to be most long against the dollar? Is it is it things like the euro? Is it developed currencies? Is it emerging markets? How are you thinking about just the rotation there?
1: Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I was I was on a panel with uh, at a bank credit analyst about a month ago with uh, Stephen Roach, very important economist and uh, used to run, I think, Morgan Stanley's Asia uh, Pacific area. And uh, we had a poll of the audience and uh, they, uh, like uh, Mr. Roach, Professor Roach, picked the euro. And Roach is on record for thinking that the euro is going to appreciate 35% next year. Hmm. I tried to make a case for China uh, in the sense that I, I think that the uh, we're, we're in, sort of in the midst of I call it like the internationalization of the RMB 2.0. The first one was uh, really about trade and about the uh, sort of the signification of Hong Kong. But this other one, uh, this one that we're in the middle of now, is really about China's capital markets being integrated into the global capital markets and through the benchmarks and the path of investment. And Chinese fundamentals, I mean, we talk about how low yields are around the world, uh, Professor Siegel was talking about how ours is still below uh, – our 10-year is still below 1%. Japan, uh, China, rather, is offering over 3% on their 10-year bond. And they've got one of the few economies in the G20 that are going to grow this year. And the, it looks like the uh, uh, most, most of the, um, uh, like say, multilaterals are forecasting even an acceleration of Chinese growth back towards 8% next year. And so uh, as China gets integrated into the global capital markets – I wonder if the if the RMB might be a better place when you think about the total return than the euro, which is still backed by negative interest rates and has some big political challenges, whether it's Brexit, uh, Poland, Hungary uh, vetoing, uh, blocking this uh, the next year's budget. Uh, so a lot. Of, so I don't know. I, I guess I, I like the idea that the high beta currencies, so that'd be Aussie, Kiwi, uh, the, the stock, uh, Sweden, Norway, uh, maybe the Canadian dollar among the majors, do better. They're more leveraged for growth. I, I wonder if uh, Canada, on one hand, might have, have to have an early election. You know, Trudeau runs this minority government. Minority governments have an average lifespan of about two years in Canada, and they're in the second half of theirs, and meeting more resistance. Uh, and emerging markets, I'm still impressed with how well Mexico's doing. Uh, it's among the strongest currencies. R T bill in the U.S. pays about seven basis points. Mexico's Four and a quarter. You've got strong worker remittances coming into Mexico, trade surplus, and uh, this, this high yield that's attracting portfolio flows.
0: A lot of interesting stuff to, to draw on there. Mark. Um- so certainly, China was the front and center of the Trump administration, and you know, and and we go towards a Biden administration. Biden's saying he's going to look at; he's not going to just remove tariffs right away. He's going to sort of see how uh, sort of allies want to come together and deal with China. How do you think the the, the political sphere? comes into this view on on china and because and, there's been all these actions to say restrict some investments recently on on chinese companies um may their of u.s listings or banning these military financing companies that, that that the executive order from trump how do you think about the the capital flows under a biden versus trump administration here
1: yeah no, i think that's important and i think that uh i guess for me a couple of things one i'd say is it seems to me that You know, even though it's, of course, as partisans, we have strong political convictions, strong uh, recognition of differences between Republicans and Democrats. However, on foreign economic policy, I think they are much closer together, and I think that there is a bipartisan. I think you see this in comments from uh, both uh, former President Clinton and Obama, that when when President Xi became president for life, that sort of marked a turning point. In the U.S. attitude towards China, and when I mean U.S. attitude, I mean the political elite, both parties. And so I think that uh, I think that the difference, I think, as, as you hinted that, was going to be more about tactics. I, I think uh, it's going to be important to watch these capital markets. But just because the U.S. may ban, uh, say, owning, uh, say, uh, today the uh, uh, I think it's the third largest oil company of China was sanctioned because they have military links, uh, I don't think that would be enough in and of itself given the mobility of capital uh, to, uh, to block China from becoming more integrated. I think what happens is U.S. investors will just uh, not participate in it.
0: Do you see the sort of bonds? So, so far, the, the equity investors have included, you know, like an MSCI um, and some of the other major index providers, Wisdom Tree has included more of the A shares in, in markets. Uh, do you see the bonds as the, the sort of next part of why the capital flows are going to start going to China?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because because one of the things that will happen next year, but it was announced this year, is that I believe it's the uh, some other bond indexes are have begun including more of China mainland, and China has adjusted some of its rules to make it easier, and that's why I think that ultimately China does allow or is allowing the RMB to strengthen. Because it knows that in order to be integrated into the global capital markets, people like you or I might buy Chinese stocks or bonds, anticipating a total return. Given those macro fundamentals, what should the stock market go up? A bond yield be get attractive bond yields, and you have to have a view on the currency. I think that if if they purposely devalue the currency or keep it artificially weak, then that will discourage. Global investors, global savers, and global savers like us buying into China now, as China's trying to clean up their own like uh, imbalances, domestic imbalances between you know the high debt. You've seen uh, several state-owned enterprises fail this year, and so I I do think that the integration of both the stock and bond markets important. And of course, uh, uh, bond markets tend international bond flows tend to be bigger than international equity flows.
0: Yeah, we've had uh, some occurrence I've been having discussions with a currency strategists who thinks that you know getting Chinese bonds is one of the best investments that people can have for their bond allocations, given the negative real returns you're having in U.S. ten years, the tips being negative real returns. You know, he's looking for more access to direct Chinese bonds to replace his U.S. bonds. And so I think that's an interesting. Uh, interesting conversation there on, on sort of the capital flows to China. I, I want to come back to the developed euro uh, situation where you said Roach has this 30% view. How do you think about the euro? I mean, that the, the, as it keeps keep strengthening, sometimes you get the central bankers there getting worried about the, the pressures that's going to put on the European economy. What, where do you see the euro today?
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's true. You know, they, uh, last time the euro came close to this 120 level, uh, we had a flurry of comments from European officials uh, warning about its strength and really its linkages. How a currency's strength is going to just exacerbate the deflationary pressures that Europe is facing. And I think it's been four months in a row now they've had negative CPI levels. So, so I, I, I sort of think about the euro like this: that the uh, that the big dollar, the big euro declined Began after, the, of course, its peak. And remember, it got to a back uh, in early part of the crisis, uh, one sixty in uh, uh, July, I believe, of '08, and it's been trending lower, more or less since. And so, what kind of levels should we be looking at on the upside? Well, by getting a, you know, we've been in this range, one sixteen, one twenty, basically four months, and we broke out of it this week. And so what does this mean? Where could we be going? And so I'm thinking that 125 is a reasonable level. That's the 2018 high. And that's not so far from where we've been. But, you know, it's funny when we think about valuation and equities, there's agreed-upon models to understand what a company is worth. People might disagree on what the appropriate model is, but there's a variety to choose from. And maybe to a lesser extent, it's true in fixed income. But in currencies, it's really hard to get your hand around valuation. And so, of course, uh, economists have these purchasing power parity levels. as, to, as to the level that currencies often gravitate around in the long run. And so I ask myself, what other level should currencies gravitate around in the long run? And, of course, it, as you know, only following prices, it's a long run moving average. So I take a look at the uh, – I keep an eye on the 10-year moving average for the euro, for the different currencies. 10 years, 120 months. And uh, – and I find that measures of purchasing power parity tend to be, that's like a good first approximation. And right now, it's coming in near current levels, around 121. We haven't been above there, above that like kind of 10 year moving average since, the, uh, say, 2014, tw- early 2015. So I think we're, the 125, I think, is conservative. And I think that before this move is over, before this, say, this dollar's down move is over, I think that the euro will be back closer to 140.
0: Really interesting. You know, I think, you know, always you think about when, when when sentiment shifts one way or the other, you know, and it moves quickly, you know, I think the sentiment has definitely lined up for, for weak dollars. So it's interesting to hear where you know that the other side is, and and uh, you know it, it definitely so one forty as, as a high level is, is interesting. Uh, what about the yen? You know the yen has been stuck. You know it had peaked out. You know in terms of weakening, it got down to one hundred twenty yen. Now we're at like one hundred four. It doesn't seem to be doing much. it's sort of you know ultimately has been this risk on risk off type currency. Where do you say the yen is, and it's in in that path also?
1: Yeah, so the yen is harder for me to uh, as an alternative. So I sort of see the euro as sort of like. Uh, the Uncola, the non-dollar as the second biggest currency by various measures in the world. While the yen is still, uh, I, I find it to be uh, less less important in the world economy. And less, uh, I mean, there's days where, you know, I, I try to keep uh, almost London hours here on the east coast of the U.S. And I, I could be up sometimes in the morning and, and the foreign exchange market would be, uh, eight, nine hours into the day, into its 24-hour day, and dollar yens moved a third of a yen, it's still not, a, it's still not the kind of currency that I think that you have a broad-based participation. So I, I sort of often find dollar yen to be stuck in trading ranges. And, re- and this is the problem, I think, with a lot of technical analysis and technical tools, is that for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a one, less than a 1% range, say 103.65, 104.65. And when, when it seems to me, when the dollar yen looks like it's trending, it's often just moving to a new trading range. So, I, I tend to think that the uh, so what this means, I think, is really is for foreign investors who are thinking about investing uh, in Japanese stocks, which maybe it's part of that rotation you were talking to with the professor about. That if we are shifting from a more of a growth orientation to value, if that's the shift that's taking place. Which you know some people point to, then what's the what's the, uh, what's the extreme value would be would be Japanese stocks, which while we talk about us making new record highs and everything, uh, Japan stocks have have uh, they peaked in, in the 90s, and the, in recent weeks the Nikkei, one of the major benchmarks, has basically made it back to those kind of highs to the late 90s, and so maybe the foreigners do not look like they're participating that much, but the low the low volatility of dollar yen. Well, I say it might be boring from a, spec- a currency speculator's point of view, it might be actually advantageous for the foreign investor who's trying to buy, who's thinking about buying Japanese stocks, uh, and, uh, and not having to worry as much about the volatility of the currency as they might have in other places.
0: No, it's interesting. We're talking with Mark Chandler, who's a managing director, chief market strategist at Bannockburn Global Forex. Uh, Mark, you know, I like talking Japan. Um, one of the things uh, we've been talked about is um, Warren Buffett coming into Japan. He's been one, you know, these ultimate value investors buying five of these companies there that are these sort of Bigger enterprises have a lot of investments within them, but uh, sort of these trading companies, it's like a gateway to sort of venture capital and, and all sorts of business in Japan, but also sort of commodities. But he's done it without having any yen risk. Like he sort of made these hedges so that he could be neutral, of the currency. Uh, and so I think it's interesting, that, you know, if you have a real global growth acceleration, and Japan tends to be a cyclical set of the market, um, it, it's interesting that Japan is breaking out to these highs since 1991. And, and, uh, and, and the question will be, what about the currency? And uh, you know, I think if there's a global growth acceleration, maybe the yen has some, some pressures, but we'll have to see. Yeah,
1: I think that uh, you know, like the, the interest in Japan, I think there's always this sort of like, the, I hope that like, one day European stocks outperform the U.S. again. I think that people get caught up on those kind of things. And I think the same thing for Japan, that there's this hope that I think Japan, many Japanese companies sell so cheap to book value, that there's this hope that uh, like that, uh, it's like there's, there's money to be taken from that, to, to be able to like, not just invest in it, but actually to earn a good return. And I think we're going through one of those phases now. I, I worry, though, that on the, on, the, on the exchange rate, Japanese officials seem still very sensitive to its movement. So while, we were, while dollar-yen had been holding above uh, roughly uh, 104, when it broke below it, in early November, both the Bank of Japan governor and the prime minister, the new prime minister, spoke about, within the framework that the G7 and G20 liked to frame it, and that was that, uh, about how excessive volatility uh, needed to be avoided. Right. And so it was, a, it was a low step on the escalation ladder, if you will, but the sensitivity of it uh, so early was a bit surprising.
0: So we talked about some of the major markets here between China, Europe, Japan. You mentioned Mexico as an emerging market that, that you like. Any other places as you look around the world, the, the opportunities, where, where, where do you see some of your clients? How do you see them, their interest in currency levels and what they're doing? You know, what, Maybe talk about the activities that you tend to see.
1: Sure, so at Banneker, we advise small and medium-sized companies. And ironically, uh, they there there where you would expect uh, people who are you know modest small importers and exporters to be and so Canada is probably the biggest and Canada actually the Canadian dollar has had quite a good ride here too we're just making new uh, new uh, uh, Canadian dollar highs for the year today it turns out uh, as Professor Siegel was talking about how the US employment data missed a little bit because the job growth was a bit weaker than expected but Canadian data, their jobs data also came out today. They had a number. Uh, their jobs growth was uh, modest, but three times what economists expected. And so, I, as a rule of thumb, I often think about Canada as say, you know, one tenth the size of the U.S. So their sixty thousand job growth turns out to be really equivalent, more or less, you know, uh, to about six hundred thousand in the U.S. And of course, we missed that terribly. But uh, I like the Canadian dollar, uh, and I think that a lot of our clients. Have, uh, have been, you know, be able to get on the right side of, of the Canadian dollar strength. Uh, our clients are after Canada, I'd say uh, the UK, and of course we're watching uh, this, this weekend, especially the, the, uh, as the trade talks come down to the wire. A lot of our companies would use the UK, uh, build or, or use it as an export platform uh, to penetrate the rest of Europe. And if there's not a good trade agreement, uh, you know, we've been uh, besides hedging the exact currency risk, we're also thinking more strategically about supply chains, and I'd say Ireland is a uh, is a favorite, uh, probably go-to uh, place for people who are needing to change supply chains towards uh, out of the UK.
0: Interesting. So, as you think about going forward into into next year, um, and I guess what are the major themes that you'll be watching as we think about how do how do all these markets come together, and and currencies being one of the biggest markets, what are the the most important drivers of these currency rates that you'll be you'll be watching for?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I'd say there's one meme that seems to be, uh, it percolates, you know, uh, every so often, and I think it's percolating now again, and that is uh, rising inflation fairs, expectations, or something along those lines, uh, part of the uh, reflation story. But so I'd say inf- inflation and the fears about, around inflation uh, are, are, are important things, especially as, you know, as we turn in the year. And secondly, I think that I think you, you had it before when you were asking about like Biden and China. I think that the whole world is, is watching, not just on China Biden relationship, but broadly. Uh, what does it mean to say the U.S. is back? What does it mean to be internationalist? Uh, you know, uh, uh, while, while everybody wants to give Biden a uh, sort of a, a bit of a honeymoon period and, and this kind of relief that we saw from some of our friends and allies about uh, an internationalist, an Atlanticist back in the White House, uh, the Europeans went forward with their tariffs. Uh, and, uh, and WTO approved on uh, the U.S. for violating, uh, for you know, illegal subsidizing Boeing. And uh, Germany has, seems to be on the verge of announcing that they found a way out of U.S. sanctions for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Apparently they found, a, you know, the Swiss backed out of it. And I think they found uh, a few Russian ships that could complete it, it'll take them longer But uh, they're still going ahead with these issues, which here, too, just like in China, I think there's some bipartisan. uh, The U.S. is more bipartisan on some of these issues than maybe it might look like, uh, you know, just reading the headlines of newspapers. So I think that the inflation story, uh, how the U.S. reemerges, they say the first 100 days of Biden. And then I think the uh, broader broader investment climate shaped by progress with the COVID vaccine.
0: Well, Mark, this has been been a fun conversation as always. Any closing thoughts or any place people should look for staying up, up to date with your views?
1: Well, th- thanks. Uh, I, I keep a, uh, a macro blog on Mark to Market. That's Mark with a C. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I think that it's, it's a uh, it's been a tough year for everybody. I think uh, many of us, including myself, is amazed by the kind of returns that have happened in the stock market. And even... Even in the recent weeks, how the stock market's broadened out to include, I mean, I'm watching the Russell 2000 as a broad measure. So I, I think that uh, it's, it's, the, it's the non-economic challenges that seem to be more serious.
0: Well, Mark, thanks for being with us on the program again. Have a good rest of the 2020, and we'll chat with you again in the new year. Thank you. Good luck to everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com.